konnichiwa and welcome back to another episode of Japan Rugby Weekly. This week we're joined by Cornish and Fijian rugby legend John Matavisi, who is currently playing at the Shoki Shuttles in Japan. Josh and I will be chatting about his rugby journey before answering your Instagram questions. Let's go! Welcome back everyone to another episode of uh, Japan Rugby Weekly. I've got a very, very special guest uh, this week. I'm very excited for this one. Fijian legend. We got uh, Josh Matavesi on. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, I know you through uh, Joe Kamana, who used to be a co-host on the show. Um, but yeah, I uh, thanks again for coming on, and I'm really excited to hear your story. Oh, thanks, mate. Nah, um, it's sad that we both know Joe, isn't it? That's probably the the worst thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, I don't know if you could imagine. Um, yeah, him as a co-host. Obviously, he's very shy. So I kept asking him questions last season, and he'd kind of freeze up. But um, no, he's a he's a good man, and uh, yeah, love him. <laughs> yeah. But no, um, obviously you're uh, at the Shoki Shadows um, in your game. You're supposed to have your first opener this week against Senex. Unfortunately, that's been uh, cancelled because of COVID. Uh, hopefully you guys will be up and running, being able to play uh, soon. But how have you found your time in uh, Japan so far? Uh, it's been, I'll be honest, it's been, it's been real tough. I've come from the UK where everything is really, really um, high performance, is elite, everything's... Um, ready done so like kits on your peg um foods made for you individualized um gym programs are done ready for you so all you got to do is just turn up and give it your best mm-hmm. um and then to come to japan and that's you just have to be a lot more efficient with your with your time and be a lot more proactive in how you set up your day so that's probably been the most um thing to get used to and and the style of rugby obviously it's completely different to the uk um but I love it. It's, it reminds me of playing for my local team. Mm-hmm. You know, like bring your own kit, uh, make your own food, that sort of thing. Um, so like, there's a, there's, that's kind of the tough bit. But then obviously, like that's the bit I like about it as well. It's it's pretty raw, and it's you just come in and just work hard. And to be fair, the Japanese boys love love the boys that work hard here. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my been my kind of goal from the start, really, since I've been here. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, you're definitely right, eh? Like I think. Uh doesn't really matter how big a star or how little a star. I think whenever the foreigners come over, if the Japanese boys see your work ethic they can see how much you're like just uh, keen to get into the culture and, and uh, do the hard yards with them, then they'll really uh, respect you straight away and they really uh, feed off hard work because obviously uh, everyone here is a real, uh, everyone's here like is real hard working. So yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying. But yeah, there are parts of it that I guess aren't quite as professional as other places um and it must be hard with covid like normally you'd be able to go around see the whole of japan and see what it's all about and stuff but um have you been able to do any traveling at all or have you been quite stuck at home due to, due to covid i've been just been able to stay at home really and it's it's been quite tough that in that sense but i was really lucky during the last world cup um with fiji that we just got to go everywhere and to be fair i've, I've done a lot of japan so now it's just kind of like just kind of refined and I've not done Tokyo yet which I really want to do because mm. um, the, all the World Cup games Fiji were not in Tokyo so I literally got one we got one night before we left but we had to sleep because we was on me and my brother were on a real early flight back to the UK so I haven't actually done anything in Tokyo except for going to the airport so um, when COVID kind of relaxes and 
we get on to full flow. I can't wait to go up to Tokyo and uh, have a go at it, see what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I live uh, an hour out of Tokyo, so depending on if Joe comes with you or not, I'll be pretty keen to go around and show you around it. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Great. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, how about, yeah, the rugby side of it? Obviously, you said it wasn't uh, so professional um, as other things that you've found, but how about, like, on the field? Has it been tough uh, going through translators and stuff like that, or um, has it been, like, a fun challenge for you there? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's been tough. It's, it's been a real good challenge, and it's something that I knew that I was going to get myself into before I signed, so... It wasn't um, it wasn't out of the blue, um, and we're really lucky at Shocky, really, because we have um, Tusi, who's who's uh, Kiwi Samoan, we've got Joe who speaks fluent Japanese, and we've got Josh Karevi who speaks fluent Japanese. So we've got so many we've got so many outlets of people who can um, translate for us. Mm-hmm. We're not always relying on um, Ken, our um, our translator. So you know we take a lot of the workload off of him because we've got such a good. An experience of people that have been in Japan so you know I'm very lucky to be in the situation that I'm in now to be able to kind of see the other players the Japanese players way of thinking because I sit next to Josh or Joe so they can translate mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's a great challenge I think it's fun you know that's the whole point of me signing here was to experience something different um, and yeah the boys here are unbelievable um, I've got, I can't speak highly enough of them yeah, nice. Um, oh, uh, having to get Joe to translate for you must be uh, interesting. You've probably done a few drills wrong because he said the wrong thing, I suspect. But, um, yeah, that's part of the challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, a few times, you know, the boys have just been, if I've been somewhere else on the field in our team, uh, the boys just like, I won't go first. I'll watch the Japanese boys do the drill first and then kind of copy <laughs> them. So best way to do it. Eh? Exactly what we've been doing, yeah. <laughs> but nice. Um, like you said, you're at the World Cup. You've been at three World Cups, is that right? Yeah. So like the, the first ones, I turned up late for it, mm-hmm. but 2015 and 2019 were kind of the main ones. Yeah, um, nice. The last one with my brother was probably the best. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, I think uh, everyone... Obviously, as uh, anyone who watches rugby would have followed all the World Cups and stuff. But yeah, I've always been growing up uh, leaguey. I always loved my rugby league, so didn't necessarily know too much about, especially British uh, rugby union. I was always watching yeah. the Super League. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear uh, your, I guess, story growing up and I guess uh, how you got into the rugby scene. But uh, if you're yeah happy to talk about that, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, where do you want me to start? Um, <laughs> oh, where were you born? And uh, I guess, yeah, um, how did it start for you uh, growing up? And what was it like? Obviously, I only know growing up in Japan and New Zealand, so it'd be fascinating to hear uh, yeah, what it was like out there in uh, Europe as well. So, born and raised in a place called Cornwall, uh, which is the south of England. Um, where we are, you can't go any further south, so we're at the bottom of the country. Um, it's like famous for like beaches and surfing. Uh, and rugby so my dad came over with Fiji in uh, mid 80s mm-hmm. and then uh, played against my local my, my local club Camborne um, and then uh, they went back and Camborne offered him a job as a tin miner and played rugby for the local team which is where he met my mum so um, yeah that's kind of I've, I've been playing rugby since I was four years old oh, Wow. Uh, so yeah, and I'm I'm really proud to be where I'm from. Uh, Cornwall is like a very is a very strong tradition. People are, who are from Cornwall are very proud to be from there. So, um, you know, I'm very lucky. I've got um, obviously the Fijian side of my dad, 
but then I've also got the corner side of my mum, so got best of both worlds, really. Yeah, nice. Um, and you see, you started uh, rugby at four, but um, obviously you're a pretty big man. Were you big from a young age, or um, yeah, how was it? I guess uh, going into rugby and. You said your dad played, but was that a big part of you starting rugby, or is rugby uh, quite big in Cornwall as well? Yeah, it was already big. Well, we played every sport. So in the summer, we played a lot of cricket, um, played football, volleyball, basketball. But yeah, rugby was my probably my main my main love. Um, and then yeah, just it was just we always wanted it. We were never forced to do anything, which is really good. We were always encouraged to just go out and play sports. So um, yeah, me and my brothers would always just be down on the local rugby club on a Sunday morning uh, with our friends because all of our friends did it as well. So um, we wanted to be there. And, um, yeah, my passion and my love just grew from that, really. And, yeah, it's something that I've always wanted to do, um, even since I was a young kid. People ask me what I wanted to be when I'm older. I was always a rugby player. So I'm really lucky to to have had the career that I've had, but then I've still got a, a, a career in front of me as well. I've still got a long time to play. So yeah. I'm really excited. Yeah, nice. Um, and sorry, uh, for a novice like me, I, would you be able to explain the, uh, I guess the pathway in, um, Britain about, yeah, how do you kind of become that professional rugby player from those club teams? Uh, what's the kind of setup like over there? Yeah. Um, it's probably changed now because so long ago now since, since it happened, but, um, you play for your local club, um, then you get selected into like your county. Mm-hmm. So what would that be? It'd be like, um, for New Zealand, it would be like playing for like yeah where you're from. So it'd be like your local club, and then obviously you go and play for your like Wellington, Auckland. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the similar things. So you play for your county, and then from your county, you get selected to play um, Southwest. So it's like regions. So it'd be like North versus South Island. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, at like 15, 16, you play for England, 16s, 18s, and 20s, um, which is all I wanted to do. I was want to play for England. Um, mm. And it wasn't until I had a Facebook message from uh, Moses Ralooni, who was a scrum half for Fiji at the time in 2008. Mm-hmm. And they asked me if I wanted to play for Fiji just out of on Facebook. <laughs> and oh, I just wow. said, yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah, what a time to be alive, eh? But yeah, it, it's probably changed now. There's lots of academies now. So mm-hmm. you probably get scouted from, from anywhere from like 12 to 16. And obviously people will develop late as well. So um you know the dream's definitely not over if you if you if you're a late developer, but from that kind of twelve to sixteen range, you you kind of probably put into your academy of where you're from, and then probably nurtured and, and groomed to be you know, to live like a professional, how to train, uh, nutrition, and all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty easy pathway. It's just I think so many people want to do it now, mm-hmm. and it's so uh, probably so accessible now. No, it's probably easy. It's not easy because that's probably the wrong word, but it's, it's definitely a lot. It's a clearer pathway to yeah. become now than it is was back when I started. Yeah, nice. Um, and yeah, when you were going through those these uh, club scenes, um, were you? Yeah, I, I don't know. It might be something tough to say of yourself, but were you? Did you kind of stand out in that level already? Like, were there people talking about you going to those pro teams and stuff uh, from that age? Or um, yeah. What was that like for you going through that? Uh, probably not. It wasn't until I was probably like 15, 16 that I really wanted, I really um, had the drive to, to become professional. Before that, it was just my mates all did it. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. I real, um, it was a real good pathway for me to let out all my emotions on a pitch, like get to hit people, ruck, 
um, get to show your um, your skill set, you know. And it was just another chance for me to escape and just be me, which mm-hmm. I thought was amazing, and I could I could just showcase what I was about. So yeah, I really enjoyed that side of it, and um, I've always been quite a big lad, so the physical side of it I enjoyed as well. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed to fit what I was what I was able to do, you know. Um, a typical Fijian, big. I was quite quite fast when I was younger, skill set, um, and then I really liked the kicking side of the game as well. And obviously, being in the UK, kicking such a big part of the game, um, it's definitely helped me get selected for you know clubs and and for playing for Fiji's being able to kick. Um, so that's yeah, it's probably hmm. probably my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, and I guess you talked about uh, you know through Facebook, through social media, um, getting. A message about going to uh, represent Fiji, but was that a tough decision for you? Obviously, you said uh, growing up you wanted to play for England, but um, yeah, uh, how was that? I guess decision, and um, uh, yeah, how hard was it to make? Yeah, it was quite tough because all of all I ever wanted to do was play for England. Um, born and raised, you know, corners uh, English, so Johnny Wilkinson would have been, you know, my my hero growing up. Um, but it just when I was probably what sixteen, just as I started making teams for like premiership teams of Ex- Exeter the England goal just seemed so far away it just seemed it was impossible like the way the coaches spoke about um, playing for England it just seemed like it was never achievable and uh, people from Exeter since then never played for England so it was like well I'm probably never going to play for England and I can't see the pathway of doing it whereas Fiji just were like look we've got Scotland in two weeks if you say yes we'll select you and I was just like there's a World Cup in two or three years time yeah mm-hmm. let's do it yeah and yeah it was it was kind of it wasn't off the cuff but it was just like there's a clear pathway like play for Fiji chance to go to the World Cups um Nicky Little you know coming to the end of his career so there's a chance the number 10 to take over um so it just seemed a lot more uh it just seemed a lot more viable for me mm-hmm. and as soon as I put on that white jersey for Fiji it was unbelievable they play for the right reasons. It's and they play with a smile on their face, which is what I'm about. So it really fitted um, me. So yeah, I was so happy with the decision I made. Yeah, nice, perfect. Um, I guess I see that so many things are just like timing. Um, you might be playing, you know, out of your skin, but if there's somebody that's already being picked in those teams as well, um, you might not, you know, make certain squads and stuff. And yeah. it seems like a lot of things kind of aligned uh, for you to be able to make that decision and. Yeah, from what I've seen, it looks like it's been a great decision. So, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, nice. Um, and you said uh, you joined Exeter, but I guess how was that jump going from your club stuff to professional stuff? And um, I've yeah heard stories, many stories about I guess the length of the seasons over there. You've got a few different uh, competitions you do, and it's nothing like the seasons that we have over here, where the pre-seasons are you know eight months, and then it's like a two-month comp. Um, but yeah. Yeah, how was it adjusting to uh, that side of it? Um, well, I was still in school when I got picked. Uh, we were playing against Doncaster in our first game when I was sixteen, seventeen, and yeah, so I had to go to. I was in college, so I had to go to college on a Monday, train on a Tuesday with the team, day off, back in college on Wednesday, school at college Thursday, and then up for the team on a Friday, play Saturday. Wow. <laughs> um, and it was just like I just felt the. The better the players were and the standard, the the better I pushed myself and the better it I I got. So I love playing men's rugby and I and um, 
I wouldn't play every week for Exeter. I'd, I'd go back to my local club and play. And it was just like being 16, 17 and playing against grown men who'd had 15, 16, up to 20 years experience mm. and learning your trade that way. Um, you know, I really valued that and I still value that now. I think a lot of, a lot of the uh, boys and girls growing up now, they just play their own age and then suddenly they're thrown into a premiership or super rugby side, whereas they haven't earned their, not earned their things, but they're not learned men's or grown up rugby because mm. it's so different. Um, and obviously, like you touched on the, the season length, last weekend was the halfway point of the season already mm-hmm. for in May. So they'd already played nearly 20 games, I think. Wow. Yeah, we've yet to start our season. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's just, yeah, it's a whole different, uh, I guess, kettle of fish. Eh? Like, um, like, I think even um, last year when we were playing over here, it was just such a short season. But because everything's um, like not professional there's a lot of teams where most of the players are employees so you can't have a very long uh, off season because the players will just have to work all day every day and lose a lot of their strength a lot of their size so um, obviously there's a lot of logistics politics in uh yeah the decision making of when to do the season but it's uh yeah must be tough um you know you guys must be itching to get on and you can't but yeah it was just i guess a whole different challenge to what you faced back in uh england eh? Yeah, but it's, it's not it's not a bad thing either. It's, it's a chance for my body to to recover and be good. So like, I'm not 20 games deep now, battered and bruised. It's middle of winter where it's muddy and cold. Um, you know, I've yet to play. I've I've only played 30 minutes. So my body is so good, um, and now I'm hungry to get on the pitch. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to it and I'm feeling fresh. So that's probably the good side of it is you can save your you save your career for a few years. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, that was one of the reasons for coming over as well. I've spent 15 years playing, you know, elite European rugby, which is, you know, 30 to 40 games a season. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm enjoying the fact that my, I feel good when I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, uh, yeah, I can definitely, um, you know, agree with that. There's a few of the boys in our team who have just, you know, they've been controlled or maintained throughout the preseason. I think there's about eight or nine preseason games, depending on which team you are. Uh, so that whole preseason is a season in itself almost, but obviously the results aren't the uh, be all end all there. So it's definitely a good chance for you guys to kind of manage your load, eh? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've, I've just loved the fact that Shockey have just played as many games as they can, um, which is great. It's the best, it's the only way we can get better. It's all the training's good for you, but if you don't play, you're never going to see how good your game plan is. So, I love. I I would rather just play all the weeks of preseason games and then, obviously, get into the season because I, I hate just running for the sake of running. Yeah, um, I think I saw a thing. It would have been ages ago, but like of you talking about how uh, much you hate preseason. Um, but I think I don't know how many people would actually enjoy preseason just the running the Bronco tests and the weights and stuff, but. Um, yeah, I guess, um, there wouldn't be as big of a preseason over in England. I guess it's just more concentrated, more intense. Yeah. Like you, you, you mandatory have to have five weeks off now because the league's so long. Mm-hmm. And then from now it's anything from four to seven weeks. That's it. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 So just, uh, yeah, just put through your paces over those, what, month or two months, eh? Yeah. Well, like, the rules are now you've got to have two weeks where the club aren't allowed to contact you oh, yeah. for training. And then after those two weeks you're away on holiday, you get absolutely embedded with emails about um, conditioning, weights. So you're already doing three weeks of preseason before you've 
start your preseason so everyone comes in ready. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, when I first started, it was four weeks, a few pints every day with your mates, turn up on the Monday and start preseason. But now everyone's so clicked in with their bodies and turning up to be the best. It's three weeks before the preseason, everyone's already running and doing their weights and turn up to preseason and they're flying. It means you can get more rugby in. Mm-hmm doesn't mean you've got to do all the sessions of trying to get people up to scratch with their um, body weight or their fitness. So, yeah, um, yeah it's just so different now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, every year just with all the technology or the science and stuff, it just seems like um, I've only been in the translation game for five years. But, yes, it's changed so much in those five years over here even. So, uh, yeah, yeah, must be uh, a lot different. Obviously, I'm not the one doing the Broncos, not the one running or doing the weight. So must be uh, fun <laughs> for you boys. <laughs> Uh, part and parcel of the job now isn't it you, it's what you pay to do so head down just get on with it i think yeah well i guess there's so many people who pay to go to gyms and stuff and um you know would love to get personal uh trainers and stuff involved so i guess yeah. then just about perspective i guess like how you look at it yeah exactly very nice um and yeah again like if anyone uh well i guess most of the people listening to this will be fans of yours from england so i don't want to uh bore them too much with competition like questions and stuff that i ask about the premiership and stuff they'll be like you know that's common knowledge so i'll just uh, yeah, steer away from that as much as i can because i don't want to bore your uh, fans but um how was your time at the chiefs and um yeah and after that i think well, you went to racing with it um uh, but yeah like, yeah what was the decision making there yeah chiefs was great um because obviously it was my my start is you know it's the club i started at and uh to see their journey of what they've done, you know, they've won premierships, they've won European titles now, and they're a very successful club. Um, but to be on the start of that journey 15 years ago was is unreal. It was probably even long. It was like 2008. Mm. So, like for me to be on that journey and start that is unbelievable. And it's I always watch what they do, and I've still got friends there that I went to school with who play there. So I'm always in contact with people that are at the club. Um, but yeah, just an opportunity came. Couple months left before um, X didn't resign me after I, I played for Fiji because of the um, the foreign rules, like the capped rules. So, um, which is fine, you know. They always they were always honest with me, um, but I just had a chance to go to France and um, be with Racing Metro. Uh, at the time, they had uh, uh, Sebastian Chabal, mm-hmm. the French the French legend, uh, Francois Stein, who's who's won a couple of World Cups now in South Africa. Yeah. So, just had an opportunity to go there and just be a sponge and I was only 20, 20, 21. Mm-hmm. So I was so young. So just to be at a club of that kind of magnitude and um, be in Paris um, was just great. And I just cherished every, I, I was I was literally just a sponge mm-hmm. learning off everyone. So um, such a great experience. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, firstly, uh, Paris, uh, France, how was that like as a country? Obviously young, it uh, would have been quite exciting, like being able to go out there and, um, I'm guessing you would have been on your own there, but, uh, yeah, how was all that off field stuff, uh, firstly? Yeah, it was great. Um, luckily I took, I took French when I was at school. So I literally had like a little bit of like conversational French, but, um, the lads were great. Um, always out for a coffee or a beer. And that was where I picked up most of my French. And by the end of it, I was actually able to speak quite good French. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, like those moments of just chilling with the boys on a, like a night out or going for food is where you literally pick up most of your your language. So all the lessons I've had, like it was no, there was really a lot of conversational 
stuff. So mm-hmm. I couldn't really use it. It was all formal. So I learned so much more when I was just around the boys and I made a real conscious effort to learn French as well. So, you know, it was great. And it was just a club where there, nothing was too much. So like your car was ready in your first day, the flat's ready, furnished your first day. You don't take any kit home, all your kit's ready, washed, dried on your peg. Oh, wow. Yeah, that really opened my eyes to what being like a real professional looked like mm-hmm. and what you had to do to kind of come in every day and just even get a percent better, which is, you know, that kind of took, that made me kind of shape what, okay, this is what it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't it? I like, I guess, yeah, it puts the onus on you, like you've got everything there for you. You just got to do everything you can to be the best player you can be, yeah. Yeah, there's no excuses. Like, you can't make an excuse because everything's done for you. So that was real. That was really good. But it was also kind of, I expected that everywhere I went after that then, which always isn't, this obviously is not always the case because of financial reasons. But um, yeah, like that set me up mindset wise of like, okay, like this is what it does take to be a Francois Stein who just won a World Cup at like 22, I think he was. So like I was hanging out with him daily. Um, there's an Argentinian guy they call the magician, uh, Juan Martin Hernandez. Oh, yeah. He was at the zoo, so just chilling with, like, wasn't chilling with him, but I was just, like, learning off him every single day. So that made a real big, big difference in my approach to playing rugby. Yeah, nice. Um, so you were there for, was it one season, two seasons? Uh, two seasons. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, again, I only know the Japanese rugby and a bit of, uh, the super rugby and stuff like that. So just a whole different world to, um, what I, um, <laughs> you know, have ever imagined. So I think what it would have been two years must have been about a million games, was it? Was it? Um, cause in France, they play even more games. Um, <laughs> so it's about, about 42 games a season. I think it is 43. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. Um, and did you get like, uh, yeah, quite a good go there? Um, like being able to play quite a few games or how was the experience on the field? Like, yeah, it was great. I mean, I got to play a lot at, um, at 12. Um, with uh, Vakatawa, who's like the French superstar then now. He was at 13, played a lot of fullback and a lot of 10. So like with me being a utility kind of back, really helped me in those positions. But um, you can't really compete when you've got Francois Stein and, and those guys who are just, you know, they're, if, they're, if they're fit, they're playing. So it was just kind of being able to just kind of fit in in other ways, in other positions where, you know, I, I could try and add. or Because I just wanted to play. I was young I just that's what you want to do is play and I want to play with the likes of Chabal and all these guys. I wanted to be part of that. So, um, it's probably quite frustrating looking back. I was frustrated when I was there, but like looking back on it now, you know, there's a reason why, you know, this guy's won a world cup and he's going to be, if he's fit, he's playing. It's not going to be me, <laughs> which is fine. I've got yeah. to learn off of him, which is great. Yeah. And, um, it's like you were saying before, like with, the the better the people around you are like I used to just means that the role that you have to do is just so much more clear you know the guys around you are going to do jobs so you're not doing stuff you know for them or picking up their slack or anything so I guess it would have just been a whole different experience as well yeah it was great it was yeah I just learned so much more like because I moved away from because Exeter is like 45 minutes from where I live mm-hmm. so it's like all is like all consuming it's like everything I've ever known is like within 45 minutes so I've literally taken myself out of my comfort zone and moved to a different country, different language. Um, so that like, that did so much good for me like away from rugby because I knew I could cope. I knew I could be in another a country by myself and not thrive, but I could mm-hmm. I could get by and do it quite well. Yeah, well, perfect. Learning uh, life lessons as well, eh? Uh, the dream. <laughs> 
Oh, cool. Um, and then, yeah, you had two seasons there. And sorry, uh, what was your next step after that? So my 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 partner Anna, mm-hmm. my my wife, she was she got pregnant uh, coming to the second year of my my contract, and I had another year left. Um, but we didn't have like there's a you need like a card de bleu, which is like to give you access to like the kind of like services, so like um, to go into birth, mm-hmm. like to like, not having to pay for it. Whereas like we didn't have it, so it cost us a lot of money. Yeah. So we just made the decision like she's going to give birth, so we'd go home because it's. We can use it on our free is free when we go back home. So I left, yeah, I left there and went. I signed for a team called Worcester Warriors. So we signed there, and um, yeah, we had our first daughter then, uh, Leilani, who's now nine. So yeah, we were young as well. We were twenty one, twenty two. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been with Anna for too many years, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's fantastic and she she gets it. So yeah. um, you know, I went to college with her, so I've known her known her pretty much most of my life so I'm um, very lucky to have her but yeah we went to Worcester um, it was a club that always in the bottom four of the, the the premiership table so it was nice to go back home to the premiership but like Worcester they had so many ambitions but and they still do but it just never seemed to kick on which is really frustrating um, and I was I just got hit by quite a lot of injuries there um, and I was there for two years but at the end of that two years um, I didn't want to resign um, I had a had a real good offer to go to Wales for a team called the Ospreys, um, who are really really successful. And their team is, I think, one time Wales played a whole fifteen of the Ospreys. So that, yeah, it's yeah. where like Jerry played. Um, so it was a team that was littered with superstars. When I went there, they just been called the Galacticos because the people that they signed. So. I'd just come off the back of that, so I was in a different era from the Ospreys, but it was just a club that had won a lot of things. So I was really, really pleased to go there and really happy to be part of something really successful, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, which is great for me. It's what I needed. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you probably would have uh, heard me not say uh, the Warriors name when I mentioned it. Like, I've got, obviously, um, I've seen where you've been and stuff, but I just was like, I don't know how to pronounce this like, like Worcester like I don't know so I was just scared so I was like oh where did you go next <laughs> um <laughs> I know uh, they so it's uh what you say what Worcester oh yeah yeah Worcester oh nice yeah sorry uh, yeah I went to the office then so like um so they've got like Dan Bigger who plays for the Lions mm-hmm. Alan Jones plays for the Lions he's the most capped run player in, in history so he was the captain when I was there um it was just great. It was fantastic. It was something so different. Um, and I love my time. That is the, is the time where I played the most amount of games mm-hmm. in three years that I was there. I played every single week. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, one season, I think me and me and one other guy made the record for the most amount of appearances. So, Man. yeah, absolutely loved it there. Yeah. Um, and what was it like, uh, like, as a country, as a city, um, how is it living there? Uh, obviously, you'd already uh, been to a place like France and Paris before, but uh, yeah, what was it like with the Ospreys? Ospreys was good. It's Swansea in Wales, so it's like a real student town. So it's a lot of, like, it's renowned for t- uh, a street called Wine Street, which has got like 40, or 40 nightclubs and bars. <laughs> it's just like one, literally one uh, thing. So uh, if you ever needed an escape for a few beers, you know, or like a nice bit of food. There's always places to go. But Wales as a country, it's very much like New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Like rugby is it. And it's like living in a fishbowl. Like anything you do, it's it's seen and it's 
something's written up in the paper or was put on a website. Um, but they're so passionate, the Welsh. Um, and then, yeah, I spent, so I spent three seasons there, made make, make a final and we made two semis. So it was like, it was, it was okay, but it was just like for the team that we had, we should have, should have won. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was great. And, uh, we had our second child in, in Swansea, Messina. So, you know, she's, she's the little Welsh, the Welsh dragon. So that was great. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, it seems like you've been, uh, you know, from a young age, you already had so many different experiences, which I guess was just, um, you know, <laughs> but you're in such a good stead, you know, mentally yeah, with all the experience, uh, I can only assume. But, um, how was it? Like you said, uh, in Wales, everything you do is probably monitored. Everyone can see you and, uh, might have been, you know, similar in Paris as well. But, uh, how have you kind of dealt with that off field stuff, the media, um, social media and all of that? Has that ever affected you? Uh, not really. No, nah. I was like in Paris. Paris is so big, right? Rugby's not, not even on the uh, on the radar. Oh, yeah. Like you got Paris, man. So mm. you got like Mbappe, obviously Neymar. <laughs> so like rugby is nowhere on the radar. There. So like Paris is great, right? So you can just escape and no one knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Swansea was like, okay, I'm I play for Fiji, but the Welsh boys, you could really see like the pressure that they're under. Mm. Um, Every day there's an article about someone, you know, done something in training or whatever, and you just see the pressure that they're under. But like for me personally, like the media, it is what it is, right? And you got to use it to your advantage. And there's good days and there's bad days, and all you got to know is like your your best is never as good, mm-hmm. but your bad is never as bad as what you think. So, and to be fair, like I've got such a good support network. My brothers, who are both professional players, mm-hmm. my old man. And my wife is pretty like she's damn straight with me. So got such a good level headed group of people around me that we never really get too far out of our, our box, which is great. Um, and it served me well, you know, I've always, I've always treated people the same. Doesn't matter who you are. So I definitely learned that from my old man with our upbringing. So, um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, the media is what it is. I know that some days, people i'm not gonna be people's favorites this is great i don't mind that but to be fair i couldn't give two shits <laughs> i couldn't care yeah yeah nice uh, yeah such a great way to think about it obviously uh i am very hidden never on tv never on the camera people might hear my voice and they just hear me stuttering and they're like oh that guy sucks but they don't really say it because they don't know who i am so i can only imagine how much pressure it must be for all you guys who are well known and um yeah in the media every week eh yeah, I'm alright though. I'm pretty out of the way. I'm a, like where I'm from is the people who know me know me. So mm-hmm. like that's that's all I care. And the people who know me know what I'm about. So yeah. any other people's opinions is is their opinion, right? Doesn't it doesn't actually mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. So it's just people I care about what they think. That's that's probably what cares most. Yeah, nice. Great way to think about it. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> um and then I think after that you went to Newcastle, is that right? Yeah, I went to Newcastle. So, like Newcastle is like, um, how would you put it? Is like, what's the place in Dunedin? Was like party oh, central. Oh, like uh, yeah, um, uh, or Dunedin in um, Otago. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the equivalent of being there. Like, is really renowned for like like a real good night out, like a weekend away in Newcastle. But Newcastle football is real famous there. So yeah, it was great. But like the rugby was fantastic. Um, it was a club that always struggled. So it was like pretty similar to Worcester. Mm-hmm. But the season that we had, we went from like 
the bottom of the table to semi-final and it was like unheard of um i absolutely loved it there it was great um it just yeah they let me do they let me be me mm-hmm. if you know what i mean um so it was great like off the pitch as well like so family orientated um we had nilly latu there mm-hmm. yeah. he was at high you know and nec uh, he came in when I, he his second season was my first season there he was just like the granddad of all like the islanders there we had like we had like nine or ten islanders pacific islanders so it was like a real kind of that was the core of our group and then obviously like when we played because we'd spent so much time with each other and each other's families when times got tough on the field we all just kind of bonded together and um the the manager there dean dean richards is unbelievable um so newcastle is so far away from every other team in the uk so you need to get flights everywhere that's how like out of the way it is you need to get flights everywhere and everyone hates coming to you because it's so always cold where we are mm-hmm. and it's so far away but um one of the rules that um that was brought in was we always fly to the game but we always bust it back so we get on the beers <laughs> they just really create like a bonding create a massive bonding thing for everyone oh, nice. i love that this bus journey's back were amazing and uh something that i always cherish and i it would actually if i ever become a coach or manager i'd probably always do the same thing yeah yeah <laughs> Nice. Um, I thought it sounded first like an uh, uh, punishment, like, you know, you have to bust back. But then as soon as I heard, you know, you get to have a few uh, cheeky, you know, beverages on there. Like it just makes the time yeah. fly probably. Eh? Um, but yeah. I, uh, yeah, once, you know, if I have to go to the toilet, I die. So I don't know how long I would have survived on it, to be fair. Oh, the, the, buses in, the buses in the UK are so different to the ones in Japan, right? So there's tables, there's TVs, there's oh. toilets, there's a little kitchen at the back. <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's so different to, to the one the buses here in Japan. Oh. So, like, get to the toilet whenever you want to get to the toilet. Oh, true, true. Yeah, I was expecting <laughs> as uh, the ones like we've got here where you're just kind of cramped up. Um, yeah. Some of them might have a toilet if you're lucky, but um, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, not always fun being on the bus for two or three hours, especially because I always have to sit next to the big boys because I'm a small man. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, you know tough having knees like uh, digging into your knees, and oh, it's yeah. fun times. <laughs> Oh, but oh no, <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> oh man, but cool, cool. Um, and yeah, you said you spent three seasons at uh, Newcastle, yeah. right? Yeah, we spent yeah spent three seasons there. And the last year was so the middle season. Sorry, we got relegated. So my last year there was in the the championship mm-hmm. of the prem. So I kind of I've, we got we got promoted, which is great. They got back into the prem. I moved to I moved to Bath then. Um, which is a team that I'd I'd followed since I was like ten years old. Oh wow! So it's like a boyhood dream of playing for that club. Um, and yeah, that's probably that was the last club before I signed for Shockey. So yeah. um, still have so many friends at that club, and they still keep in contact with me. Um, and it's a place as well that I played some of my best rugby. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I love that club. Yeah, nice. Um, and I guess uh, that would have been around the time when COVID started to hit, but did. How was I guess, that experience over there in the UK, and um, yeah, how was it playing professional rugby in that time? It was it wasn't too bad. Like we had the so we had the first the real the, the real COVID as we'll call it. Yeah, the real COVID. <laughs> so when we played we played one game, and then obviously um, it all kicked off. So we had to go to lockdown. So we locked down for a few months, mm-hmm. and then we slowly through the government because we were able to test every time that we we're in, and it cost it cost the club like. I think it was like sixty thousand pounds a week oh, wow. to test everyone, right? So just to get us back into training and play. So we played a full season 
we played a season and then we played half a season and then a full season mm-hmm. with no crowds. But yeah. everyone else was in lockdown. So we, we felt so lucky. Mm-hmm. And obviously people lift the weekends, right? So people work all week and then they want to watch rugby. So like we were able to do it. Like we were playing on like Wednesday nights and then we'll play on like a Saturday. And then so we were playing like every like four or five days, which is great. I loved it because there wasn't a lot of training. Just play. Yeah. It was, like, it, and like, I love, I love training. Don't get me wrong, but like just to go in and do a team run play on like a Wednesday night, was, was awesome. Um, so I think from a, like, the premiership, I thought that they handled that lockdown period probably the best because we were just able to crack on. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we get, we gave people a lot of like hope because like they could come on late. They could obviously watch us on TV and like live sport was back on. I, and I don't think there was a time I, I can't remember not seeing, watching live sport on like TV. Mm-hmm. So like you, what you take for granted obviously is, is that, but like, to be fair, I'll be honest with you. I love the lockdown, the first one, because I've just got to spend so much time with my family, yeah, with my wife and my kids and like time that I never thought I would have got. And it wasn't always like, oh, I've got to go and train. I was just like, no, I'll, I'll just be a dad. You know, I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, there's obviously, like, the two sides. You, like, you, you take for granted, obviously, playing when lockdown happened. Like, you take for granted what I do as a job is actually awesome. Mm. And I, I really fell in love with, back in love with rugby then. And I didn't see it as, like, a, a job. Like, if, does, that, if, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I just, it's like, this is actually what I really like doing. And it's what I'm known for as well. Like, it's my identity is like, I'm known as a rugby player. So I kind of got that real like hunger back and that passion, but also I got that like this is why I play rugby. Like I actually like played with a smile on my face, and I wasn't like you see a lot of athletes now like real serious and uh, like you see them playing. They're always like, and I wasn't like that when I come back from lockdown. Just like I was quite laid back with it, and yeah. I, that served me real well going into the last two seasons. The bass were, were amazing. Yeah, nice. Um, and yeah, it would have been uh, interesting, I guess, like the crowds in New Zealand. Um. I don't know, there's always, like, being a bit of a culture of everyone goes, I guess, to your house to watch games of rugby and stuff. You do go to the game sometime, but the crowds never seem to be as electric as I see over there in the UK. But uh, was it a bit of a shift um, being able to play but not being able to play in front of crowds? Like, the atmosphere must have been so different. Yeah, like, the warm, like for example, like, the warm-up, you really notice it because, obviously, like, at Bath, they get 12,000 a week without fail. Like, like without... There's not a single seat left, mm-hmm. so twelve to fifteen thousand a week. And then if you go to like Leicester, they've got thirty thousand a week. Like there's, there's mm-hmm. not a single seat left. So like in the warm up, obviously you notice it, like the music's playing, the crowd, like you can see like the atmosphere building. But then when you actually play the game, you actually don't notice the crowd. Mm-hmm. You're so focused on like doing your job. So like that side of it was fine. Like as soon as the whistle went, it was just like right, this is normal game rugby. Yeah. But I felt real sorry for like the boys that had never played. So we have made quite a lot of debuts mm-hmm. and like the, some of the lads have never played in front of the crowd. <laughs> and it's yeah. just like, and then suddenly like, now they're playing and it's just like, well, this is what it's like. <laughs> like what 12,000 people feel like watching you and it's like real closed in, you know, like, um, but yeah, it probably hit the city of Bath because Bath is so in Bath, the center of Bath is the rugby pitch. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the Roman Baths around it and the whole city just revolves around this. Oh wow. So like, um, the night before, if you can have the food, everyone's in their bathtops having some beers, pizzas, whatever. Like you're obviously going out for food, get a bit of pasta, or whatever. And then in the morning of the game, like all the shops got their flags out. Like the whole city is in blue, black, and white. Um, it, it's great. But obviously, with COVID, there's no one out, so no like the new boys didn't get to experience 
what what it feels like because the whole literally the whole city is behind you. Yeah, yeah. So yes. I feel sorry for the lads that have done that, and also feel sorry for the lads that finished, that retired. Mm. They didn't get to play their last game in front of the crowd, um, and it didn't, they didn't go out the way they wanted it to. But um, sometimes that's the way it's dealt, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, like you said, there are things that you know. It's a shame. It would have probably been easier to adjust going from crowds to no crowds, like you did, um, than the other way around. But then, like you said at the start, it's uh, obviously there were people who couldn't work at all, or you know, couldn't do anything. And uh, over here as well, you know, we were still able to train and everything, and kind of do everything that we normally would have been able to, just with a few restrictions. So I guess uh, it's just all about perspective again. But yeah. But yeah, um, and uh, I know after that you decided to come over to uh, Shoki in Japan, but uh, how was that, I guess, uh, decision and what kind of brought that on? Um, I was I was already, I'd already done nine weeks, uh, nine, no, seven weeks of pre-season with Bath, so I was getting ready to play this season with Bath, mm-hmm. um, and there's two weeks left before the season started. Um, so my agent was like, there, there could be a gig available in Japan if you want it. It's like it's 10, 10 games a season, I think it is. Uh, and the salary cap in the UK has been chopped. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, not this season, the season after it could affect you with what you're, what you're earning. Um, and he's like, look, in Japan, they're going to pay you well. So I was just like, let's do it. Let's, let's try and get this over the tracks. And I wasn't really thinking it was going to happen. Yeah. So close to the season. So there's uh, so many loopholes to go through. So it's like, first I had to talk to Bath. Um, I was just, I was just brutally honest with them from the start and I wasn't hiding anything. I just told them, look, I've got a financial decision. I've got a financial opportunity here that I don't think I'm going to get again. Not at like 30 years old. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to get this again. And I was, I was brutally honest with them. And the, the manager just said, I support the decision. Wow. And it was as easy as that. And from there, we just went loophole, loophole, days away in London on the embassy trying to get the forms filled out. Um, so, yeah, it was it was yeah. pretty much pretty. It was pretty quick to be fair, but um, and then Tusi talked talked to me about and uh, Tusi and Tokono, the the manager here, talked about the vision that they want. Um, they want to drive Shockey in, um, and they thought that I would fit it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. That was really pleasing to hear that they wanted someone like me who can help the young guys, young Japanese boys coming through with what a professional looks like. Um, so that was great. Um, I loved. I'm loving the journey that we're on and we know that it's a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously we, we met no bones about that. We want to be number one in Japan. So we just have to keep consistently do the small things and do them well. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, and I think it was a big shock to most people when it was announced. Uh, obviously it's a new league over here. There's three divisions. It went from two in Shoki won the second division uh, last season. Uh, and then, Obviously, uh, went real close to beating one of the division, uh, division one teams as well last season. So thought they would at least be in that second division starting this season, but it was, yeah, one of the biggest shocks. So when it was announced they were starting in third div, but, um, yeah, looking at your guys' recruitment, some of your guys' preseason games, looks like you're definitely one of the teams to watch. And, uh, it looks like it's, yeah, like I said, only a matter of time before you guys get firstly up into that division two and then fight for a spot in that top division. So really excited to see what you guys do this season. Yeah, we just we've got to be patient. Like we can't. Uh, I've been in teams where everyone you're expected to win, and people from the start of the season, if we played a game, are like you're going to win, you're going to smash it. And I've been in that trap. I've done that. I've been in those teams where you're expected, and the underdog always gets you. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's just about concentrating on us. It's not getting too far ahead to next year, to two years, what might be. 
Um, it's just literally about taking week by week who we've got, playing to the best that we can, learning from that, and then applying it to the next week. So for us, it's just being consistent and it's being patient. You know, we can't you can't fast forward time, so you might as well stay in stay in the moment that you're in and try and get the best out of it. Yeah, because um, I guess yeah, like you said, all those other teams or a few of the other teams in the uh, Division Three will probably be looking at you guys whenever they play you in regular season as like a championship game almost, and it's like other teams are doing that, building you guys up every week. But for you guys. You know, you have to do that every week, basically defend the title every week. So it's definitely a yeah. different challenge. Eh? Yeah. Well, so when I was at Newcastle, we got relegated into the second division of the championship. Every team wants to take your head off because you're the big dogs coming down. So you're playing, you're playing, literally you're playing what, 30, 40 games, 30 or 40 finals every single week because you're everyone else's final. Mm-hmm. So you're getting the best of every single person for what, 50, the 48 weeks yeah wow like you you just have to expect them to be at their best so we just got a plan for that and we've got to prepare and concentrate on us as i said before it's not about looking ahead at league one or league two it's literally about looking at who we've got next week who like who are we playing this is our game plan let's let's do it to the best of our ability each day and um i'm hoping that um since i've been here that i've kind of driven standards um since i've been here because it's something that I want to do in my time in Japan is is to uh, apply a real good work ethic here and uh, standards. Yeah, nice. Um, uh, from what I've heard from Joe, uh, obviously when you're not around, he speaks very highly of you. When <laughs> you are around, all he does is put you down. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, like I said, really excited to see what you guys uh, uh, do. He, but... What is he? What was that? Is he ready to come on? Uh, I think so. Oh, uh yeah, yeah, he's more. always ready. Um, we can talk to him about uh, your time in all your World Cups. I'm sure a lot of people like to talk about that as well. So he's a World Cup expert, obviously. So I'll see if he's going to come on. Uh, obviously, yeah, like you said, he introduced me to you. Um, I was like, oh, well, you probably know a lot of stories about uh, Josh. Do you want to come on? But, you know, he's very shy. Um, he said, oh, nah. So maybe maybe it's shyness or maybe it's just uh, – you guys live with friendship, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's just what he knows about me, I think. <laughs> nah, <laughs> but nah, uh, well, uh, yeah, hopefully he uh, joins us soon. But while we're waiting, um, do you want to talk a bit about your experience with Fiji and uh, the World Cups you're on and how, I guess, that was representing, uh, yeah, your father's country? I, I was really lucky, so I'm, I'm still, like, something that I, I, I'm quite proud of. I'm still the youngest ever player to play for Fiji. Oh wow! So I can't believe the rugby that I was playing when I was eighteen. I was just like, "What are you doing?" Like looking back on it now, I had no idea about rugby. Um, and that's the thing, right? You when you're older, obviously you've got experience. And you look back and you're like, oh, "I wish I was, wish I had this experience when I was eighteen, right?" Which is what you always think, right? But um, I just had such a fearlessness about me and such freedom when I was when I was that young. Um, and Fiji really harnessed that, the energy and the way they play. Um, which is when, when you watch any Fijians play, they're, they're full of flair and enjoyment, and they're normally the the wow person in that team. Mm-hmm. So um, I loved being part of that. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, when I played for Fiji, I always felt like the the English. I always felt like the English guy played for Fiji yeah. because I I look at the team and I look what everyone's capable of, and I'm thinking my role here isn't to add to that. My role is to kind of like. Um, bind it all together mm-hmm. and try and 
play that in the best areas. So I, I will become like an English person playing for Fiji. So I'll try to kick them into the right positions to play that type of rugby. Um, and I didn't need to run because I had so many good runners outside of me. So I just literally just needed to pass. So um, I really enjoyed that role. But then as soon as I come back to my club, I really felt like the Fijian yeah. guy in the team. I felt like this loose, like, <laughs> like not magician, but I just this loose guy who could just go and offload, yeah. you know, and be be the Fijian in the team. Mm-hmm. It's it so like it was so weird, and uh, yeah, I I don't really know any other people that kind of feel that way. Yeah, yeah. Because so many like I got so many cult. I got two different, completely cultures in me. So I got this like what I've raised, born and raised playing was this. I'm always the Fijian guy in the team, so they always like give me the ball. And I can do whatever I want. And just you know, kind of have that kind of thing about me. Whereas when you're playing in a team of them, there's no one there to kind of general like mm-hmm. bind all together and get the best out of it. So it's just like I don't need to be that Fijian guy. I just need to be the guy that can put them in the right positions and give them the opportunity to showcase what they're about. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but 2015 was great because it was at home for me. So like mm-hmm. the World Cup was in the UK, so my family was able to come and watch. Um, and then yeah, we had a real tough group. Right, we had uh, we had Wales, Australia, uh, Uruguay, and England. We had England open at night, mm-hmm. so that was in front of 92,000 people. Oh, yeah. Over there was millions watching. Right, so it was like the second highest ever sporting event watched. Wow! Um, and we're opening up against England at Twickenham. So that was like unbelievable, like warming up in the dead ball area because the opening ceremony is going on. So it was like, yeah, it was unreal. Um, and then 2019 was 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 different. I didn't I didn't play as much, mm-hmm. but my brother was there. So my brother's a hooker, so he started every single game. Yeah. So for me, it was like not kicking my toys out the pram because I'm not playing. It was just like I need to show Sam what. Because we know each other, but we've never played with each other. Like he doesn't know me like day to day, like what I'm like. So I just wanted to show him what I'm like day to day, like the standards that I hold. And he was really, really surprised because I come off as quite laid back. Mm-hmm. But um, that doesn't mean I don't care. Like, I really care about the environments that I'm in um, and the standards that we set. So um, he was he was quite taken back by what what I'm, what I was like, and I'm quite blunt. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm in that environment, I'm very much like. I'll give it to you, and like, because in elite environments, there's no you can't pussy foot, you can't beat around the bush, right? Because you're there for one reason to win, and you win it at like, all costs. So if you've got someone who's not putting their weight, you can't afford to kind of uh, you can't afford to like pussy foot around the situation. You need to stand yeah. straight because there's a goal, right? So he was quite like, oh, this this isn't what I thought you'd like. Um, so yeah, that was good. Like the experience for me was was even better because like. The Japanese love Fijians, right? Mm-hmm. And we got to go to some unreal places here. Like we were in, we camped in, uh, is it Oita? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in Oita. Um, we went to, um, there's another place up north that begins with a K. I'm trying to remember it. Um, north is in north of Japan. Yeah. Uh, I'll have a look at where you guys went, but. I know, um, I actually went to your game in Oita, I think, um, as a fan, obviously. Um, but I can't remember, yeah, where else you guys went starting with K, not Kanagawa, but, uh, no, Kamashi. Oh, oh, yep, Kamashi, of course, of course. We played them in a few weeks. Sapporo. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, it was unreal. And 
to try like the different foods because I didn't know that like different um, different uh, districts here are famous for different types of food. Yeah, like just tried loads of different um, cuisine mm-hmm. was unreal. Yeah, um, no, I think uh, Kamaishi is maybe similar to what you said. Uh, Newcastle's like in uh, England where it's you know a bit like away i think it's pretty covered in snow at the moment um but it's because of that you know they're always real hard to play when they're at home and um it's a bit of a fortress for them i guess and they had a bigger yeah stadium there uh you know made for the world cup as well so it would have been a great experience for you to play up there i guess yeah i had my my worst ever experience in a rubber pitch with kamashi (laughs) so we lost to uruguay that day oh yeah yeah and i missed two kicks in front of the posts and it was just like I just wanted the world to swallow me up that day, yeah. but it's just like a place that I just like I hate, I hate that place because of that. There's a place that holds so many bad memories for me because yeah. like we sh- we played Uruguay in, in the November before the World Cup. We beat them eighty nil, yeah, smashed them, and then played them in the World Cup, and they're just a different beast. Wow! And we we thought we were going to smoke them, so we're just like yeah, this is. And we probably did fall into that trap, and like a lot of the boys that had played already in November were just like oh, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. World Cups, they bring different animals out of you. So, yeah, I definitely learned my lesson that day, not to ever underestimate anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just like two simple kicks. First one, I, I sliced it. Second one, when my knees were trembling, the post literally seemed like this this big. Mm. I was just like, oh, no. And that's just pressure, right? Pressure mm. has got to And, um, yeah, I'm so – I'm not happy that it happened to me, but I'm glad that I went through it because now I can deal with that. Yeah, uh, I can't accept. I was like, "Yeah, this is pressure, right? This is okay. Well, I've done this a thousand times, like a million of times." But at that stage, when the ball went down on that thing, I was thinking, "Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> this ain't going anywhere where I want it to go." Yeah. Oh man. Uh, well, yeah, that's kind of perfect because uh, we have, I've got a few Instagram questions that came through about uh, you, and one of them was like, "I guess when you play ten, how do you deal with pressure?" See, I guess uh, we've gone through a lot of your story. Sorry, I've talked a bit um, and yep. asked you some silly questions that everyone in England would probably be like, why are you even asking that? Uh, so we've gone a little bit. Now, hopefully I'm not using too much of your time, but if you're available, um, I'd like to ask you some Insta questions, if that's all good. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll start with that one. Um, What's the best way, do you think, to deal with pressure in a game? Um, definitely accept it. Like um, Acknowledge what it is, but trust in your like routine and your process. So like when like the Uruguay game when I was at 10 and the kicking went wrong, I just thought, right, stick it up and like try different, loads of different like things that were going wrong. Whereas she was taking a deep breath and put the ball on the tee like I'd done millions of times before and just gone through my process. Whereas like, I rushed everything mm-hmm. when I, um, when I missed those kicks. So for me, it's just like, you've got to trust in your process, which is why you spent hours and hours practicing and back your instinct, back your gut, you know, don't overthink things. And, uh, probably the main one is just smile like enjoy it enjoy being under pressure mm-hmm. like it, like actually enjoy it because you become so much better when when you do that and the way things work out not too bad for you yeah wow nice great bit of advice um might as well just end it there don't want to uh taint it with my voice eh? but uh <laughs> nice and i will i guess because we had such a good one to start should we go to uh one from i think it's a teammate of yours that uh, tom headed is it yeah yeah, uh, he said, "How big is your cock?" <laughs> um, I've got loads, loads of chickens. My um, cock <laughs> quite big. Uh, the male, male mm. cockerel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Is nice. 
Brewster. So, yeah, he's, he's quite big for his age. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it must be something to do with farming and, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, because he's... He's into that sort of, yeah, agricultural. Mm, yeah, nice, nice. Um, yeah, I uh, don't know why I followed your great how to deal with pressure one up with this one about uh, farm animals, but um, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> um, uh, next one is what is your favorite position to play if you could choose what would you play uh number 12 oh yeah nice yeah uh, yeah i just feel like i get best of both worlds i can i can real showcase what i'm about as a player at 12 i can because i can uh get over the advantage line the gain line with my size i can also distribute as a second 10 and a lot of the 10s are right footed and i'm a left foot so like we've got a real good mix of kicking kicking abilities and just with experience as well, just able to take the pressure off at tens and communication skills. Um, yeah, just really, I really like playing 12. Yeah, nice. Um, great answer. And next one. So what is uh, your favourite stadium that you've played at to date? Um, I was going to say it might be Kamaishi, but obviously not Kamaishi. Not that. Uh, <laughs> my favourite is uh, Millennium Stadium in, in Cardiff. Mm-hmm. Um, when you play Wales and it's... Was it eighty? I think it's eighty-seven thousand, and the, the choir's singing their national anthem. Mm-hmm. I've never had like goosebumps like that before in my life. Um, yeah, wow, it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Um, and what's uh, sorry, this wasn't from the ground, but um, what's the biggest crowd you've played uh, in front of? Uh, if it had been the, the England game, it was ninety. I think it's ninety-two thousand. Yeah, yeah, wow, man. Must have been a uh, yeah, like you said. Once you start the game, I guess you don't really notice it as much, but must have been pretty. Uh, surreal to warm up in front of that crowd yeah was, like the build-up for me is some of my favorite stuff because i can like you kind of get like really you clue into what it's about mm-hmm. They're, like on the bus in the trip in you see like when you're playing twickenham you do like the famous walk through the tunnel of people and there's thousands of people as you get off the bus um yeah and obviously like you're walking up to like twickenham's like the coliseum isn't it so it's just like like yeah. we're going now wow Nice. Oh, yeah, definitely on their bucket list to go over and see all those uh, or experience it. I also want to experience, you know, the football games over there as well because they look unreal. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, okay, next question. Uh, oh, this one's about Japan. Said, uh, what is your favorite Japanese food? Oh, I love um, I, I love sashimi here. Mm-hmm. But my Joe, is it Joe, I think yeah, Joe introduced me to it. Actually, it's um, from it's really famous where we are. Is tapping? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's changed my life. <laughs> that is yeah, yeah, nice. great joke. Like the local boys that live here are unbelievable. They really accommodate the foreigners here. So one of my first couple of days here, one of the Japanese boys took me out for um, sushi, uh, sashimi here. Oh, it's unbelievable. And something I've never had since I've, you know, in the UK, Sushi's not the same mm-hmm. quality of it. Um, so yeah, that and uh, yakiniku. Yeah, 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 nice. Yakiniku is a stable way. Eh? Uh, yeah. all you can eat all you can drink are dangerous yeah very <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of uh, what was I guess the best you call them socials um, that you've yeah. experienced oh, it's too many <laughs> uh, we, when I was at Exeter to, when I was at Exeter we did like the um, the beer Olympics mm-hmm. so it's like it's unbelievable um, we've also done like a like a beer beer gimp mask so you wear like an oxygen mask and it's like all taint there's all um tinted so you can't see anything yeah and you've got five minutes and you can anyone could put anything uh any drinks down it they're not allowed to, they're not allowed to spit or wee down it or be sick down but you can put like red wine beer you've got you obviously don't know when it's coming in 
So you got five minutes of of that. Wow. Uh, so did you say there was a funnel? Yeah. So oh, like you wow. got an op- and then there's a funnel that goes up to it, so you can actually see what's coming in. So it's like that, and then your timer starts, and then <laughs> everyone's just putting down drink. Oh, um, <laughs> must have been a very clean night after that. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's horrendous. <laughs> oh wow, nice. Um, sorry, next one. Uh, what was your favorite uh, city to visit when you were here in Japan for the World Cup? Uh, Osaka. Oh yeah. Yeah, I loved Osaka because I think it's because we spent the most amount of time there. Mm-hmm. I think we had like nine days there. It was oh, like Osaka's unbelievable. It was, it was class. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, and lastly, um, I see. Sorry, yeah, don't want to keep you too long again, but. Uh, this is a question I ask all uh, the people who come onto the podcast. Uh, so it's what is your favorite uh, Japanese phrase or word that you've learned since you've been here? <laughs> I can't say one of them is too dirty, but uh, uh, Daijoubu is my favorite, I think. Uh, Daijoubu? Yep. <laughs> that's nice. I just say it for everything. <laughs> Means like, that's okay or yeah, that's fine kind of thing. Eh? Nice. Yeah. But I think some of the boys have taught me some... Ah, uh, Joe actually taught me some really bad words. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you can never trust uh, Mr. Joe coming at JK. Yeah. I can't say what he's told me, actually. I don't, I don't know. Can you, can I, pipe on desk, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, well, I think that's uh, about time. No, um. <laughs> yeah, that's what he taught me, so... Oh, well, I was actually hoping to get Joe on to come in, um, tell a few, you know, fun stories about you, but, uh, he's obviously shy, Mr. Jim, and it's, uh, left on scene, so, uh, might have to leave it there. Yes, yeah, absolutely fine, Doug. I really appreciate, appreciate you having me on, there. I appreciate your time. Thank you. No, uh, thank you. And, um, yeah, like I said, first guest, um, had a few players who had stints over in Europe, but, uh, yeah, it's been great insight, mainly for me, just to learn a bit more about the game over there. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, like I said before, good luck for your season and can't wait to see you guys, uh, smash it. Arigatou gozaimashita. Oh, man, Japanese. Cheers, <laughs> <laughs> Dougie. Thanks, no, Thanks, bro. Thanks for listening to another episode of the JRW Podcast. Make sure to rate and share the pod if you enjoy it. And don't forget to use code JRW15 at the ANR Pro checkout for a 15% discount. Arigats, I'll talk to you next week.